This is SciBite, episode 126, for April 15th, 2014. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to SciBite, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly science podcast, live on a Tuesday and fresh on a Wednesday over at jupiterbroadcasting.com. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our host, Heather. Hey there, Heather. Hey there, Chris. Hey, Heather. Happy science to you. Happy science. So, Heather, what are we going to talk about today? Today, we're going to take a look at a new treatment for paralysis, spying a possible exomoon, troubles with the space station, viewer feedback, the Large Hadron Collider, curiosity news, and as always, take a peek back into history and up in the sky this week. Holy, that sounds like a big show. Why don't we kick it off with the news? Okay, Heather, where are we starting tonight? There is now the belief that it is, in the past, there is, you know, the belief that there is no recovery possible from complete paralysis when permanent damage has been done to the spinal cord. That belief is no more. Oh. Four young men who had been paralyzed for at least two years are now able to move their legs as a result of some epidural electrical stimulation. That was on the spinal cord. Now, this type of thing, it's not... Don't think of it as, like, hot wiring where they're actually sending pulses to the leg muscles themselves. Okay. It's just not that. But they're... In this, it's... You apply stimulation to the spinal cord, but essentially what's happening is... What they've kind of discovered is that there's some signals. You know, you think leg move, and the signal goes down to your leg to, you know, for your left leg to kick. And, you know, for these, for, uh, for young men, it wasn't, you know, their leg obviously wasn't moving. And so what they were able to do is sort of assume that there's a little bit of that signal going out. So with that electrical stimulation, what they're able to do is sort of uh, amplify the signal. So they amplified it, and they can actually, you know, move toes, ankles, you know, kick their leg. Now, they had one, one of these fellows uh, actually was able to, that's included in this, was back in 2011, when they showed the first uh, participant that was actually able to um, show positive for this. And now these, the next three gentlemen all showed it. Now... They range from everything from absolutely no sensation below the point of injury to some sensation but no movement. Now, for the second, the third, and the fourth, these recent three, they were immediately able to do voluntary movements. Once they activated the stimulant, once they turned it on, they were immediately being able to move their legs. Now, so this is like really rewriting some of the stuff that they had assumed about spinal cord injuries. And the fact that it's four out of four now is giving them even more hopeful. Now they're really looking to you know, st- step up, step it up a notch to see you know, where, where it can stop. So it's interesting to kind of see what's going to happen. And so, you know, they just... It's interesting because they're able to 
amplify the signal. There was a signal there. So it's, mm -hmm. that's what I found interesting is that they're not, right. you know. It's not generating sort of an entirely taking, new signal. It's just taking yeah. one that, yeah, that which not, I guess so then it would mean that success would depend on how much of that signal exists. Yeah. Well, they thought that no signal was there, but apparently there's something. And the fact that actually all four of them are actually able to bear weight independently on their legs now. So, I mean, this is crazy. The fact that they can do this obviously offers some hope for, you know, walking is extreme, you know, physical therapy that's going on with these guys. But not only that, but it increases, you know, their muscle mass. It can help with blood pressure, fatigue, um, you know, overall sense of well-being. There's a lot well-being. There's a lot of other um, additional things that are going on that really makes it interesting and even more helpful for these guys. Now, because of this, they're continuing to be very cautiously optimistic on this side of things. But the next, I mean, it opens up these fields of study and treatment plans that are far different from anything else in the past. You know, being able to say, wow, can you that this treatment, I mean, there's 6 million Americans living with paralysis, uh, 1.3 with spinal cord injuries. So being able to say, hey, well, right now it's 100%, even if it goes to 25 to 50, mm -hmm. you know, to any smaller degree, if it's a chunk of those people, then it would be amazing if they could help increase their quality of life right. in so many different ways. Now, and, and with different ranges of results, but any, like you said, any results, it would be incredible. Yeah, I mean, all of them were able to, you know, move somewhat. Now, it's the first gentleman uh, who was, had surgery in 2011 that is now sort of really looking, is kind of really bearing weight and kind of getting towards walking and things like that. But, you know, is so much uh, well-being. And so now they're kind of looking to... Well, maybe up it up to the next step where it's, you know, 20 to 50 people, you know, and really kind of ramp these kind of tests up to say, okay, well, so far it's really excellent results. They're right, you know, they see results right away. Things are going okay. And really hoping that this continues. It offers so much, yeah, so much hope. Right. Right. And uh, it, it seems kind of incredible as electronics get down to the kind of size where you can do these kinds of things, you know, because it requires that embedded piece, right? So mm -hmm. um, it's an interesting way where when technology gets down to the right kind of size and portability and power, the new kinds of things they can try to apply it to. And it's just absolutely amazing. It also, in some ways, makes me feel like the body really is just another machine. Like you can hook up an external battery pack to the wiring and uh, help send some signals. I mean, it's just like, um, it, make, it makes you kind of think that we're uh, uh, there's those all kinds of amazing things that are around the corner as technology gets more portable and more powerful, and as they oh, figure yeah. out ways to wire it into the body to solve problems like this. Oh yeah, like I had read this and I was like, wow, this is pretty amazing. And then I saw the video. If you're not watching the show, go definitely go check out the videos because it's really amazing. Where like that guy like really moves his leg very tremendously. Yeah, that was you know one of the stories was like. You know, he turned it on for the first time, and, you know, the guy, you know, hadn't been able to move his leg in years, and his mom's in the same room, and he's like, all right, we're doing the test, now turn it on, 
Now, left leg kick. And his le- he says, all right, this is not going to work. And blam, right away. And he's like trying to realize what exactly happened. He looks at his mom just like crying. Wow. And it's So it's one of these things where it's so amazing. And you really like being able to see that and being able to like read the personal like really hits you too. Yeah. Yeah, boy, that's that's a terrific story, and it's exactly the kind of stuff uh, uh, I can't wait to hear more about in the future. Yeah. And and how is now? How, did you say how the Christopher Reeve Foundation is tied into this? Uh, it's through, I believe, they're doing some of the funding for the research. Oh, okay, okay. They have a lot of different uh, research programs going on, yeah. and so hopefully, we'll continue yeah. and show even better results and in the future there will be even happier bites. yeah absolutely all right heather well why don't we take a quick little break because we got something really fun coming up that i want to tell folks about just remind maybe put plant a little seed maybe you can clear the calendar because uh coming up towards the end of april just a couple of weeks away april 26th and the 27th i think that's like the last weekend of april uh we'll be at Be- we'll be in bellingham washington at linux fest northwest and if everything goes as planned we'll be streaming all of that so uh I don't know how much will go as planned, but if it all does, there could be content all weekend long on the jblive.tv stream, but there will also be a roundup video and stuff like that, so uh, you can always uh, kind of get a glimpse of what we're working on by going over to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar, and when we do kind of special events and stuff like that, we try to put it on there as well, and I think it's going to be a great fest. They're celebrating their 15th year, and it's we don't, we don't usually bring the whole production out of the uh, studio and move it up somewhere, but we're doing it for Linux Fest Northwest, so it's a big event. And I yeah. uh, hope you guys can join us. All right, Heather, why don't we move on to the news bite? Now, what's this rumor about ExoMoon? What, what is this about? I, I say, no way. I say, question mark, skeptical science. Okay, all right, well, there is something I'll entertain there. it. There is something there. NASA-funded researchers have actually spotted the first signs of what they say might be an ExoMoon. Although it's impossible to confirm its presence. So what happened Until is Until we that, can warp there. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's more than that. It's how we spied it in the first place. Oh, okay. It's one of those things where it was completely by chance. can only really see it once because it's as it passes in front of the star. You get this gravitational microlensing. You know, it's light is bent around, you know, light actually bends around gravity. You know, gravity can can bend it a little bit. So as something massive passes in front of something else, you can actually see some changes in how it looks. Yeah, okay. And what they actually are able to spy you know, free-floating planets this way. Well, they know that there are just planets out there roaming the galaxy without a star. And in this case, they saw an additional little spike, either right before it or right after it. And that was highly indicative of possibly a moon... It's about uh, 2,000 to 1 ratio about how big and how, what kind of a difference <laughs> in size there is. 2,000 to 1, okay. Oh, 2,000 to 1. Yeah, that's, that, I have to be careful. But that's, so they expect that there might be more things like this. But in this specific case, it's only one observation. It's not like it's going to be passing in front of this star ever again or necessarily another star. So, so we can't really do much do- with it? We can't do any follow-up observations. Oh. But this does mean that, hey, we saw something like this once. Yeah. Everybody check your data. Everybody kind of keep watching for something like this to happen. Right. I mean, this is how we've discovered, as I said, you know, dozens of exoplanets. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, where now, now, just, now they can go look at the data and the data and say, okay, well, is there other instances of this happening? Yeah, I mean, we see that there's, you know, Jupiter-sized things floating around space. Now, it might be, you know, a moon around one of those, you know, free-floating planets. Now, it also might be um, a low-mass pair of... Spaceships. No. Okay. A star. Like uh, twin stars where it's something very, very small. Okay. So there's a lot of different things. And, of course, without any um, – you can't tell how far away it is. Without that being able to know, then there's no really way to know kind of how far or how big or how, you know, how massive. Much more details than that. If you look at um, – you use some parallax. So it's – you know, if you hold your finger, you know, six inches in front of your – face and you look with your left eye and you look your right eye, it kind of, it seems to move. Now using that, you can kind of, now you can look from different parts of the earth or, you know, from one side of the earth to the other using telescopes at the exact same time or close to the same time. Then you can, just that little bit difference in the angle of what you're looking at can give you a better idea of how far away something is. Mm. But without that, they, they can't really tell how far away it is or, so it's kind of hard to say much more of the details about it, but there is definitely something there. It was definitely floating, orbiting around something else. So it's an interesting, interesting conundrum that will happen again. They'll, somebody else might find it in their data. Somebody else might find it in the near future or specifically be on the eye, keep an eye out for such things that might happen. So, Very interesting, Heather. Well, we'll look for... F- for future data blips, but in the meantime, I want to bring the band, and so that way we can do the two bike news. All right, Heather, what are we talking about in the two bike news? All right, Friday night, April the 11th, a backup computer on the exterior of the space station called a multiplexer demultiplexer was not responding to commands. Now there's primary computers, all safe, crew safe, no immediate damage, no immediate uh, change in operations. It was just a backup computer. And they found it sort of during a routine health check. Now this is kind of the thing that uh, it controls the robotic mobile transporter. Okay. And also uh, the radiators, uh, the space that move the space station solar arrays, some other things. So without, you know, the backup, then it's, you work in a totally different idea set, mental state. Well, it, you know? is this the story I heard where they thought they were going to have to do a spacewalk to fix? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah, this is definitely one that they're going to have to take a spacewalk to fix it. Oh, they do have to? They will have to. It is scheduled. Wow. Uh, the, the timing of it is completely in the air right now. Um, simply because the Dragon spacecraft, uh, SpaceX, sorry, uh, is yeah, the Dragon, sorry, is planning to go up to the space station. Uh, it would be Wednesday tomorrow, being from the show being aired. With hopefully it will launch on time and get up there because it has an extra spacesuit and some backup parts to the spacesuits. Because right now, because of a problem on one of the spacesuits last. Um, November, I believe. Wow. There was 
extremely dangerous position where the water. A, yeah, there was a water leak into the helmet. An astronaut nearly drowned on a spacewalk. So there was completely, you know, sort of the red line of only absolutely, you know, life-threatening. You know, do they ha- do they get to actually go out? They're hope they're waiting for this uh, these spare parts to come in. So they can, you know, fix the suits and buy, maybe even use the new one. And, well, they'll, you know, check out the new one, use something to be able to go out. This is that. why we need robots to do this work. Uh, you know, they, I, what? They sort of were prepping. There's uh, some ro- robotic arms that are used to, you know, grasp uh, the Dragon spacecraft when it arrives so they can kind of pull it in. So in preparation... For everything coming up, they made sure that they wanted to be as good as they could if the primary computer should fail. So the angle of the sun right now is good. So they don't they, you know, made the solar panel so that it would be good for a couple of weeks. They um, went ahead and did. You know, there's a you know they moved the arm that was going to grab the space the Dragon spacecraft. They moved it all the way down there. It sort of did, made a couple of ideas like, okay, we need the main computer to do this, this, and this. Let's prep all of those things in the right place in case things start going funny. Mm-hmm. So hopefully we'll be able to launch and everything will be okay. Otherwise, it'll be another couple days uh, before they can actually try and launch. And then the spacewalk really will depend upon when that gets there after they've done thorough testing on the space cra- on the spacesuits. Seems reasonable. Uh, no, a girl from the chat room asked that they still use jetpacks. Uh, the jetpacks are there. Um, however, on the space station, they don't particularly use them, to best of my knowledge. It's all, um, you know, strapped to the space station, or the arm can actually help. Uh, you'll kind of, they'll kind of strap their feet to, the, to a platform on the arm and then reach that out so that you can or strap a part of themselves to that and then reach that out so they could be tethered to something stable mm, okay. while they do any work. Most of it's on the you know skin of the spacecraft. So, But they do have jetpacks. Uh, I don't know if they have any on the space station itself. I want a jetpack. You and a jetpack. Everyone wants a jetpack. So, Heather, uh, our ne- this next thing on the Side by 2000, you know, the buttons that get moved around. Uh, oh, no. This will either release the omega particles that have been harvested from the Delta Quadrant into the atmosphere of this Earth, or... It's viewer feedback. Let's find out. Oh, good. We have an incoming transmission. Good, because one Omega particle would wreak havoc. So I don't want to even tell you what a whole bunch would do. So what is our feedback? It is, right before the start of the show, I mentioned the failing for the lunar eclipse that I had. Mm-hmm. The first lunar eclipse was April the 15th, which is today. And I thought, of the film recording, I thought, hey, I'll tell everybody. Except I didn't look at the time where it said, like, 2 a.m., so, last night, hopefully, you were able to check my Twitter, JB underscore Mars underscore base, and I actually was able to remember and tweet out some stuff about where and where to be able to see that. Um, but there, don't worry, no golf in the chat room, you sent this in, and it was, this is part, the reason why this is so awesome is because this is part of what they call a tetrad, which means there were going to be three more in the next year and a half. What? Yes, they'll... Lunar eclipses are generally like at least two a year. Now, they don't necessarily come in any specific order. There's a couple of different types. Uh, penumbral, which means it barely hits the outskirts of the Earth's shadow. 
oftentimes you don't even notice it. A partial eclipse, kind of as it says, where you see would see part of the moon uh, into the Earth's shadow. And then a total eclipse where it goes there, and you they call it the, quote, blood moon. Yeah, And okay. that's bec- it's because the light reflecting yeah. through it is like all the sunrises and sunsets of the world that are happening at that time. That's pretty and cool. So that's the light that's hitting the moon at that point. So it's going to be the color of that, which is oftentimes red. So the – but it's not – occasionally they happen like this where it will be – a number of them all in consecutive order. Now, during the 21st century, there were nine There were nine of these. So it's more frequent than you might imagine. But during, I mean, between 1600 and 1900, there were none. So it kind of comes in sort of batches. Ah, so we got lucky. Yes, so this is one of those where it's not necessarily happening all the time, but definitely you'll be able to see these. And next time, I will remember to say, actually before, because they'll check the time. Because <laughs> some of us don't like 2 a.m. unless we're really trying or staying up. Yeah. Um, but the next one will be in October, I believe. So, yep, yeah, October 8th. You can click your calendar, or I will actually remember on October the Minus whatever date right. before, <laughs> before, yeah. as I noted in my calendar, but I have so, that's all right. I have if we're if we're if we're if we're making if we're saying sorry, I have a sorry. I didn't I didn't get solarium loaded today for the show. I just realized that, so I just want to say okay. apologize in advance for that. That's okay. But uh, that's a good feedback, and uh, thanks for sending that in. If you want to get a hold of the Cybite Show, go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com, click the contact link, and choose Cybite from the drop-down. Or, like Heather mentioned, if you follow her on the Twitters, or you can even just read her feed without following, uh, you get little science tidbits like that. Also, schedule information and all those kinds of goodies. JB underscore Mars underscore base on the Twitter. But I think we got ourselves an update. Oh, what is our update, Heather? The Large Hadron Collider. It is starting up again. Oh, yeah. Yep, so right after the Higgs boson discovery was going on, it was scheduled for a shutdown for some updates, some upgrades to some of their software and hardware. So they had to start shutting it down, which takes a while. You have a very large, very large piece of equipment that is you have to have everything cooling at at a specific rate. You have to have the energies... There's so many different things that have to be done very slowly mm-hmm. as it goes down. Mm-hmm. Then they had to replace all the hardware, and now they're bringing it back, they're starting it back up into position. Now it'll probably be a year, maybe a year and a half uh, before everything oh. is top-notch again. All right. Because they have to, well, yeah. it might take up to that time, because they will start up one system, make sure that it's completely running fine, then start up another system. Now, slowly but surely, each little system will be started up on its own. And they'll be able to start gathering everything together so before they can actually start operating again. Now, we've got some, there might be a couple more, I mean, they'll do some more uh, swapping out of parts, but right now it'll be, you know, like cables and things like that. So it'll be minor things as they go along. But they're able to make a complete upgrade to the control system, uh, which will, to the systems that actually, to the main computer systems, uh, they had... Um, so they're starting up the first accelerator uh, here very soon, and after that they'll start essentially hitting up uh, each of the different systems as they, you know, because you have to, uh, 
speed up the electrons so much, the protons. So they'll, you know, start up the first gear, then start up the second gear and kind of keep going as to that goes on. Oh, okay, I see. And work on each stage. Yep. Very good, Heather. All right. Well, are you ready to go do a Mars uh, Curiosity update over up on Mars? Let's go. And lift off of the Atlas V with Curiosity. Look at that wheel. All right, Heather, what is that little rover up to? Or I, I, should know, I shouldn't say that pretty, actually, decently sized rover up yeah. to. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's kind of big, yeah. uh, but last week, right at the last minute, uh, there was, I'm not sure I was able to talk about it inside the show, but there was a glint off a rock in one of the images, down the thousands of images they've actually received. Um, they have these with that are bright spots about every week. Now, oftentimes they write it off to uh, cosmic rays, literally hitting at the CCD. Yeah. And so what they do is they look at the left eye image and the right eye image of the, you know, of the mast cam. And they're able to see, you know, hey, these are taken in very similar time frame. You know, one eye sees it, one eye doesn't. It's possible that that little bit of an angle hides it hiding behind something, but probably just a, you know, cosmic ray blip of the CCD. Otherwise, they are hanging out at their current position. And uh, they reached last this, that point last week. They're kind of still surveying all the different uh, rocks in the area. This is uh, called Kimberly, where there's a number of different interesting um, rocks and strata going on. So there's, so they're hoping that they'll be able to do some. They'll take a couple other weeks for observations, then they'll start into sample drilling and onboard uh, laboratory analysis. So we're heading into another little next month or two. Might be slow um, on the news because it's going to be doing. No. We'll oh. have a slow, maybe next two weeks. Oh, only a week? As they, as they prep. Oh. And then my guess is then they'll start you know, taking pictures and drilling. And oh, good. We'll have a nice little flurry of, uh, New of excitement. I like that. That's, that's way better than what I was thinking. All right, Heather. We'll jump in now. I got to warn you. This is the old right. time machine. I brought oh, it no. back out. Uh, I've, no. I filled it up. Uh, here we go. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> tell it's a bumpy ride too 439 years ago april 22nd 1575 heather what happened this week in science surgery book the printing of ambrose Perret's book of it was completed it was published and it was really opposed to the established physicians because previous books on surgery had um you know had been talking about how to treat gunshot wounds with cauterization which essentially is you know hot irons and boiling water. And he actually kind of reintroduced the idea of ligature, where, you know, you're tying off um, the bleeding mm. instead. And he kind of improved midwife techniques. And he kind of gathered all of this together into some new volume, which he really spread throughout the world. Now, what made it extremely interesting and useful was that most of the, you know, top-notch surgeons uh, had these books, but they were all in Latin, which meant he he didn't particularly read Latin very well, and there were a lot of, you know, country, you know, regular barber surgeons, they called them, who were unable to interpret Latin. And so he printed it all in French, which meant that it really got 
a lot of this data and how-tos and um, he invented some ideas for prostheses. Um, you know, he was a really interesting physician. He was, you know, known as one of the greater sur- surgeons of the European Renaissance. Mm. And so he did a lot of different things, but it was this week when he was actually able to print a book, a surgery book, actually in print for a century. It ended up being about 13 editions. Wow. But it was in French, which made it accessible to the medical, um, you know, people of the world that could not read Latin. And there you go, 439 years ago. That is, that's kind of amazing when you think about it. All right, I'm recalibrating the side by 2000 so we can look up under the sky this week. All righty, we have Venus, our morning star still. You'll see it in early dawn to the east, the southeast. Mars, you can see at twilight. We just passed opposition last week, so this is going to be an all-night affair for Mars. It's going to be rising in the southeast with the blue-white star Spica, about uh, three to four finger widths away from it. From it, uh, They will be at their highest point around 1 a.m. And then going towards the uh, northwest as morning proceeds. Jupiter! Hey! Wait, oh, wait, wait. There it is. Hey! It's going to be at twilight. It's going to be high in the southeast. Crossing mostly overhead about 9 to uh, 8 a.m. Mid- for mid-northern latitudes. Okay. And it'll be setting in the west around 2 a.m. Saturn rises about 9 or 10 p.m. It's going to be in the highest point in the south by about 3 a.m. And by then it'll be way to the far left of Mars and Spica. But in the morning we've got Venus in the southeast. In the twilight we've got Jupiter over in the southeast. Otherwise Mars is our up all night, fellow. This week, nice rising in the southeast and setting in the northwest. That's a pretty good. Sh- that's a that's a great sky. And of course, like always, it's lo- it's all listed at the bottom of the show notes. Just go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com, Look for episode one hundred and twenty six of the Sidebite program, and then everything's pretty much listed in the chronological order we went through the show. But specifically, the looking up at the sky is right there at the end. And guess what? It's uh, responsive design, so it works on your smartphone. How about that? All right, Heather, well, is there anything else we wanted to cover this week? Not that I could think of. All right, very good. Well, I'd like to remind you guys that you can always join us live on a Tuesday over at jblive.tv. We do it at 7.30 p.m. Pacific. You can get that in your local time at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. All right, Heather, well, thank you for the great show. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for tuning this week's episode of SciBite. Go grab yourself an RSS feed and get it weekly, and we'll see you right back here next week. <laughs>